Hey, folks, I'm Tom. And this is Keith. And uh, you should know that by now if you're listening to this very program. We talk a lot about the Dunlap Champions Club. Often it has to do with football season, but the season is over. It's in the rearview mirror. But very important note here, don't put the Dunlap Champions Club in the rearview mirror. One of Tallahassee's largest event spaces, the Champions Club is quickly becoming the go-to place for charity functions, meetings, and events located on the fourth floor. Champions Club consists of an east area, a west area, or you can buy them featuring floor-to-ceiling windows overlooking Bobby Bowden Field, providing a spectacular view for all of your guests. We've been there. We've done it. It's worth it. Great event space. Uh, if the fourth floor doesn't suit your needs, there's also the sixth floor, whether it's the southeast terrace or the southwest terrace. Regardless of configuration uh, or number of folks, the Dunlap Champions Club, a great uh, event space and can accommodate your needs. For more information, Mr. Jones? Let's see. You should call the FSUChampionsClub.com. Excuse me. FSUChampionsClub.com do you website. Call, do you call the website or do you, you just log into you the You call the number. Oh, what's the number? The number is 644-1830 or, again, online, FSU championsclub.com he's keith i'm tom we're done broadcasting live from the prime meridian bank studios in the capital city of tallahassee this is front row knowles with tom block and keith jones front row knowles is brought to you by cornerstone tool and fastener online at ctf.nu now here's tom and keith Hello, everybody. Tom and KJ back again. Keith, how are you? I'm great. I'm, I'm writing a new Christmas song. Don't sing it. I'm not. I'm just telling you about it <clears throat> with this scratchy voice of mine. You know the song, All I Want for Christmas is My Two Front Teeth? Yes. All I Want for Christmas is an offensive coordinator. Well, if we don't have one by Christmas, there'll be great concern. I'll go back to my two front teeth. As we sit here presently, there's no official word. But signs are pouring towards Kendall Bryles. And before we talk about the football conversation, you didn't ask me how I was, but I had a prepared response. How are you? Conflicted. Uh, I understand. Not conflicted about anything that has to do with how good a coach he may or may not be on the field. Really conflicted about... On the other side. Conflicted. In my mind, you have the whole argument of... Uh, innocent till proven guilty, shouldn't be guilty by association, shouldn't pay for his dad's sins uh, at Baylor, that whole side. And then the flip side, if you come 180 degrees, is Florida State just shouldn't even go here, being quite frank. And that, and that's from a public relations standpoint, and I don't know Kendall Bryles at all. I know his name was mentioned in a civil lawsuit, and he was at Baylor during what was atrocious uh, crimes, rapes, allegations, all that for a period of time when his dad was the head coach, a long period of time. I go back to my worry goes back to this mob mentality. Again, apologize for my voice. The mob mentality that is fueled by social media. And we all only have to look at what happened at Tennessee less than a year ago when they made a strong move for Shiano. And, And the mob mentality said, no, we don't want him because he was on Joe Paterno's staff despite the fact that there was no actual credible evidence that he was ever involved with Sandusky or anything associated with uh, the alleged acts with the young men. That's also, I think, speaking to your side about is it worth it? And whoever the 
leadership and making the final judgment, however much Thrasher's involved or Burr is involved or they're letting Willie make the decision by himself. I hope voices are being raised to say, well, let's, let's at least talk about this and make sure that we vet it. And you made the comment before we came on the air that uh, he is up for other positions, and obviously he's working at Houston, so there's been at least three other schools, quote-unquote, vet him to some degree, that is it worth it, and we all are in agreement that it is worth it, so that if it is negatively received, which it will be by some, it's just a question of how many, that you're, you're prepared and willing to withstand that negativity. And there's no question those conversations are being held by Thrasher and, and David Coburn and, and, and others. And they're smart folks, and they came from the legislative and political arena. I mean, they they fully know what that could look like. Um, so I have no question that it's been vetted. And the fact that other schools vetted them and hired them, uh, on the one hand, that's a good thing because now you've had a third vetting process. On the other hand, we don't know what we don't know. And who knows how many other civil lawsuits are coming. And, uh, you know, frankly, and I hate to put it this way, but you get into he said, she said, and a lot of that's not out there. And we just don't know where it's going to land. And there are some and, things. And, but, but again, if, I, if I'm coming at it from Kendall's side, well, yeah, Kendall defended his dad. That's what sons do for their dad. And, and, and maybe, you know, he's not guilty by association for anything that happened there. And there are some things you can do legally. They may not um, make folk happy, but you can put some things in the contract, which we have been led to believe that Houston has in his current contract with Kendall, that if thing, if certain things arise, there are grounds for dismissal with calls, no buyout, you're gone. Speaking to the what do we not know that might be out there. So you can do some things there. A little tricky. I'm not an attorney. Don't know how, uh, how hard that will hold. Um, but the reverse side, if we can take it back to the positive, pardon me, is it's also well documented. You can go online, you can YouTube it. What he's accomplished at Baylor and Houston from an on-the-field perspective is very widely recognized, respected, and acknowledged. And he's been able to do it in two places, every reason to believe he could do it in a third. And for me, that shouldn't be part of the equation, but I'm not naive enough to think that it's not because clearly you're not going to have – these considerations if it's for somebody who doesn't have a good track record because that decision's already made. Everybody comes with baggage. Everybody comes with baggage. It's just the degree and the type and what you're willing to accept. Uh, If you want to go get some hotshot 24-year-old that hasn't had time to make mistakes, okay, then then maybe you can eliminate the baggage issue. But I've learned, particularly going through a, a divorce and into a second marriage, uh, losing jobs and taking new jobs, I, I've just learned at, at 60 years of age, everybody comes with baggage. Get over it. It's just a question of what, what can you digest and what can you tolerate. Well, and that is the question, and and I don't disagree with that. And on the field, he's, he's had very good success. I do think uh, we're – you know, we entered the off season earlier than we uh, are accustomed to doing here. Haven't done this since the early '80s, right? And I don't remember those days per se, but I do remember the last two years and even longer than that. And we have a way of spending the next nine months and turning Florida State football into the Green Bay Packers of the '60s or the Pittsburgh Steelers of the '70s or the 49ers or what have you. Just, just think back. I well, mean, we are a half half full type of folk, aren't we? So two years ago, we're coming off a win over Michigan, and the whole offseason was talking about the GOAT game against Alabama and that opener. And then quickly things came off the rails. And then 
continued off the rails into a coaching transition. But Coach Taggart came in, breath of fresh air, pushed all the right buttons, and we spent the next nine months talking about how great 2018 was going to be. And so now this is if this is what happens, we're already going to spend nine months talking about how Florida State's going to score 45, 50 points a game. Already just making this change, it's going to be 10 wins. It's not just getting back to a bowl game. It's going to a New Year's Six bowl game. You know how this next nine months is going to play out. And this is what I cautioned last week. At the end of the day, we're going to truly judge when it's December 1st next year, not when it's April 1st, not when it's February 5th or whatever day signing day is, not after the early signing Not August 4th when camp opens. Not, not any of those points in time. Agreed. But so, that, that's just the way college football is these days. I guess what I'm doing is trying to caution folks into – I don't want to uh, – people know how we feel about recruiting. Yes, you got to sign some players that can play. No, you don't have to sign 25 five-stars. Matter of fact, you need a better mix. You, you need a better mix because there's a little too much ego and, frankly, a little too much laziness if you get all five stars because they have not had to work. That's too, just too, too much softness. That's just point blank the way it is. So you need a couple uh, and more than a couple glue guys, three and four stars in there to to bring that that work ethic. And Kendall Bryles is, in terms of name on the field, reputation not off the field, is the five star. Which is to say, he's he, schematically he's done very good things. I mean, he he did very good things with that Baylor offense. Had great success at FAU. Houston's averaging forty six points a year this year. But there are other guys who can coach that we just aren't as familiar with their names because they weren't associated with Baylor or whatnot. So I do caution on. I mean, in other words, pick your five star guy. We got to have him, otherwise we'll never win. Well, you know, there's some other guys you haven't heard of or followed as closely in recruiting that can come in. And, and be pretty doggone good players, too. Same on the coaching side. One other aspect of the browse side, and there's, there's I can't say published reports, because what do you call media Twitter and everything? You, know, you publish used to be in a, in a recognized name well, medium. Well, I certainly wouldn't use the word credible if you're talking about social media. But there are other reports out there of some type that if Bryles is chosen, he will want to bring as many as two, at least one, and as many as two, maybe three coaches with him which then goes back to your point about who do you let go, who do you reassign, how do you pay them, what what becomes from a monetary well, standpoint. And I said this last week when at the time it was Hugh Freeze's name out there. You don't bring in Hugh Freeze and and stick him square peg with, with round hole if he doesn't philosophically agree with the other coaches. Every coach is going to say, I, I want my guy to do this. I trust this guy. I know this guy. This is who's coming in. Uh, and so to me, I looked at that and thought, you know, it's at least one, maybe two that are going to have to come in if you're doing that. And and one would think Bryles probably has enough stature to say, I'm not coming unless you give me what I'm asking for or a part of what I'm asking for. Well, because he has other suitors. And Correct. so he could go make that same request at Tennessee or, or wherever else. So you're not conflicted? I am. It reminds me, this just came to me. What's the... Uh, What's the song when you're in love with a beautiful woman? <laughs> you know all the downsides of that. You know once you once you focus on an, a name coach, now you got to go through all the downsides of what's associated with that name coach. You're scaring me with all your uh, song references here because I'm, I'm, I'm fully afraid that Jingle you're going to break out. Yes, bells. that's what I'm afraid of right there. Um, I don't know. It's just uh, and the re- the recruiting piece of it with the early signing period. 
not that we're solving this problem now, but the early signing period, as we articulated at the time, needs to go to before the football season. Because now we're trying to, and I'm speaking in the fans' minds, fans are antsy because this has taken a few days because the university's vetting it and trying to dot I's and cross T's because they're worried that a recruit's not going to sign on the early signing period. That should be the last factor right now. Like, you got to get the hire right and make sure that you've taken, minded your P's and Q's. And if you lose a prospect along the way, that's not ideal. But you're trying to build this for the long term, not for the short term, and a guy who may or may not be the next quarterback of the future for FSU. Not, not to send us down another rabbit hole, but the problem with one of the comments you made is you can't go to an early signing period because then none of the kids will sign because they don't know who the coaches are going to be at the end of the year. So everybody, instead of signing in August, will wait and sign in February. So you've eliminated any upside yeah, that, of the early signing period. I mean, yeah. I, d- I was not in favor of December, but now that I've seen it for a little while, I can tell you August won't work. August won't work. Yeah, because nobody will sign because they don't know who the coaching staff is going to be, except for Alabama's of the world and that type of thing. Well, then you, then you get into the asterisk, which we've never gone to, which is you can sign in August, and if there's a coaching staff change – then you're free to go without sitting out here. NCAA will never approve that. I know. Never approve that because that's in the player's best interest and doesn't protect the institution. Yeah, I just, we've we've deviated from what the main conversation was. But related to the early signing period, the idea was, well, let them sign so they don't have the pressure. They can enjoy their senior year. If you blow out your ACL, you know you've already signed, you got a scholarship. But now it's evolved into when you're changing coaches, well, we got to, you know, the deadline's next week, so let's just sign them. Don't worry about what the contract says. Don't worry about doing any background checks on them. We got to hurry up and sign them because there's a kid in North Carolina that may or may not come here because that new coach already has a staff in place. It, it, that new coach has been trying to get back into coaching for five years and knew who he was going to bring with him. We've created some problems I don't think anybody even envisioned. Who, who would have thought kids would sit out bowl games? And now we're two years into that new phenomenon. It, it's a really dynamic and fluid world out there, Tommy. It really, really is on the college football landscape. Well, kids, I mean, we may be expanding. We may be expanding the playoffs quicker than we thought. Kids are not just going to sit out bowl games. Um, kids are going to start sitting out regular season games. I, I fear that. I, I mean, and what are you going to do? All right, I'm taking away your scholarship and your per diem. Okay, fine. I'm fixing to sign a $5 million bonus. Take it away. My agent will advance well, it to Well, if me. you're good enough, if you're a first-round pick, your agent will advance it to you. And if you've got two years of tape, you don't need a third year. That's just more tread on the tires. And Unfor- Unfortunately, and, I'm shaking my head yes. Yeah. I mean, I hate it too. And now we've even opened that door more because we've changed the red shirt rule. So you have an insurance. I mean, we can play this kid for four games if you're going to sit out. I mean, that's that's probably what fueled that was the bowl game thing, trying to add some more extent. And speaking of this, as we've gone all over the place, now there's a big story today from The Athletic that the power brokers, and to be frank, it's the power brokers in leagues that have not had teams go to the college football playoff every year, are now suggesting that this thing needs to be expanded to eight, not when the TV contract's done, but after 2020, which is halfway through the contract, meaning that all the playoff bowl games have each hosted twice, and it's a natural breaking point. And we've already gone long with this segment, so I don't know that we can and do this record, justice right now. But for, I, for the record, I always thought that might be a, a window that they would do it. I never thought they would wait completely to 12. I thought at 6, well, it, some conversation would take place. Yeah, yeah. And, and so so we'll get into that as we continue in this show. I, I do think as we look back, it, you know, remember the whole sky is falling which tends to be the human nature of fan bases in general. But when this thing started, there was fear the ACC 
would not consistently or never get a team in the playoff. And as we sit here today, it's the Pac-12 and the Big 12 and the Big 10 that are leading the charge to expand because the ACC and SEC have been in every year. Now, to be fair, it's more about SEC fatigue. And also, it's been Clemson carrying the banner for the ACC. But nevertheless, the ACC well, has been FSU represented. FSU carried it early. FSU carried it early. Did. Did. I, I understand. And and they should have changed the playoff right then when they trotted out this game control stat that has not been talked about in the five years since. Because Alabama's game control against Georgia was horrible. And guess what? They're still in the playoff. Because they did ultimately win the game, which is what FSU did all of 2014. Moving along. Moving along. Move over to uh, Madison Social. It's commencement weekend. There's always a uh, an alumni crawl uh, involving Madison Social and Township and Centrale and that whole uh, neck of the woods. I was actually at Madison Social last weekend following a, uh, a work holiday party. Uh, always a good time. And uh, that that's my two cents for now. Would you like to add anything? You will always have a good time. You go anywhere down there, period, the end. And the end of this segment. We'll uh, get into the college football playoff. Our Seminoles.com insider Tim Linnefelt uh, will join us uh, later in the program. And uh, we'll continue to talk about uh, the offensive coordinator situation for FSU as we roll on Front Row Knowles. In the grass, one of these days you're going to break your glass. Don't bring me down. No, 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 no. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. We welcome our Seminoles.com insider, Tim Linnefeld. We get very festive uh, now that we've let Tim choose his own walk-up music as we fire up the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. Happy holidays, Tim. Hey, thanks, buddy. You just wait till I'm playing Christmas music in July. That's coming. Well, I mean, the way the season went, if that's what we need to do, then we'll, we'll do that. I mean, it's only once a week. Yeah. Do you want no do you want to share factoids or anything or stories that you associate with the music you're choosing or you just want to move on? No, I think it's just fun, that's all. Okay. All right. <laughs> so that's a slow time for Florida State Athletics. There's been no discussion about anything. I mean, there's not uh, a bunch of recruits coming in. There's not an early <laughs> signing day period. No other sports players. There's not a coach search going on as we talk. So I don't, what are you I don't, doing with yourself? Yeah, exactly. It's uh, it's, uh, it's slow and, and not slow, you know, like you said. Uh, it's finals week this week, so not a lot of, uh, of actual athletic competition going on. But uh, as you as you noted, I guess sort of behind the scenes, uh, there's uh, it's, it's a little bit busy, particularly with, uh, with football uh, kind of getting some some ducks in a row in terms of recruiting and staffing and, and, and getting ready for 2019. Well, here's something Keith and I talked about the potential change or new hire, and we'll see uh, you know what comes to fruition on this front. But what we didn't discuss is, and we talked about it a little bit last week, maybe Keith and I, but we haven't delved into it to it, to it today. It, it appears FSU is going to land a big-name offensive coordinator. Well, big-name offensive coordinators are going to bring their offense and their staff, at least some of them, and so it, it begs the question, what does this mean in terms of what Coach Taggart uh, is perhaps relinquishing or the state of the Gulf Coast offense or just what the future looks like offense? And maybe what does it say, even bigger picture for Coach Taggart, that, that he's willing to go this route? 
Well, uh, well, first and foremost, big picture, I think, I mean, you know, look, I, I think it's, it's a clear signal to me that, uh, you know, they think that the offense is a top priority. Obviously, that's not exactly great analysis. And, uh, and it needs fixing by any any means necessary. Uh, you know, that offense has to be better next year. And, and, you know, whatever implications come down the road as far as, you know, if, if uh, you know, if that coordinator gets a new job or, or whatever, you know, I mean, cross that bridge when you get there. Um, you got to have a better offense in 2019. And so whatever steps you think you can take to, to get that uh, to get that done, uh, you know, I think you got to take it. So to me, I think that's kind of, you know, my guess is that that's what his mindset probably is. Uh, but then also, look, you know, you don't bring in, I, you know, I expect whoever the, uh, the offensive coordinator ends up being, and, and we, you know, we could know for sure by the time this airs, but uh, whoever it ends up being, um, uh, I, you know, I don't, I think you bring in some, or you don't bring, you don't bring in somebody without being on the same page, you know, without looking in and finding somebody who shares, your philosophies. I mean, maybe not everything is exactly the same. Maybe terminology is a little different, but you know, I think you, know, you can bet that Willie Taggart is going to bring in somebody who wants to go fast, who wants to you know have run pass options, who wants to have a quarterback that you know can get involved in the running game. Uh, you, you know, that's a youth term, but you know, a lethally simplistic approach to offense, which is you know what uh, what the goal was a year ago. I think that uh, you're going to get somebody. Uh, who has uh, similar goals in mind. You know, I don't think there's just going to be a complete upheaval of the offensive philosophy, uh, but the overall guy you know, overseeing it and, and kind of putting his fingerprints on it uh, you know, might be an offensive coordinator instead of the head coach and uh, you know, see how it goes. Tim, if it's Bryles, by background, Bryles is a wide receivers coach as a segment coach. Uh, I'm told he's very tight with his offensive line coach at Houston. So if he comes and then speculating, brings his offensive line coach with him, and he then needs a quarterback coach because he's going to coach the wide receivers, now we've got three positions of the four on the offensive side, five, I guess, if you count the tight end coach, that are going to turn over. Is that something Florida State can and should support? What are your thoughts if that were to happen? Yeah, I think so, if, if it comes to that. Um, and, and look, man, I mean, you know, the fact of the matter is if, if you're going down this road with, uh, with this coach and, and you, and, you know, we've all seen kind of the same reports and, and whispers about, uh, you know, the, the people that he wants to have with him. And, and I know that, that, uh, that offensive line coach at, at, uh, Houston, this is, you know, it's not the first stop they've been together. They've kind of been a package deal throughout their careers. Uh, you know, if you're really Taggart, you don't go this far down that road without, you know, signaling that, uh, that that's something you're at least willing to consider. Right. Um, and, and look, I mean, the fact of the matter is, it kind of goes back to what we were talking about a second ago. Um, you know, this the offense last year wasn't up to standard. I, mean, I think uh, Willie Taggart would be the first person to say that. So, uh, you know, what what step is too drastic at that point, right? I guess that's the question that you're asking is, is you know, where where is the bridge too far? And uh, and I think at, at that point, you know, you're, you're willing to consider just about everything on your staff, uh, particularly now um, with Walt Bell leaving for, for Massachusetts. Uh, last week, you're kind of given an opportunity. Uh, if you want to look at it this way, it's almost it's almost carte blanche, right? It's like you know whatever whatever do over you need to do. Um, you know this is an opportunity to do it, um, and, and it sounds like you might be taking that opportunity. Do you, I mean, do y'all feel that way too, or am I kind of projecting a little too much? No, I I I think when anytime you bring in a high high powered high name OC or defense coordinator. You've got to give them the opportunity of one or two positions to bring with them. 
my, my last thought there, and, and Tom and I have talk, debated this in the first first segment, you know, about whether you should or shouldn't for all the other off-the-field reasons. Um, but one of the things that, that's interesting to me is if this Bryles thing doesn't work out, who's left? What, 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 what happens in the whatever percentage case that Bryles doesn't work out and my gosh, where does that then put Florida State as you're bumping up against that early signing date? Well, I think where that goes to is is this, Tim, and and uh, how much is a big name coach worth in terms of wins? I, I mean, you know, is it reasonable to think that if you get the right offensive coordinator, this is a ten win team next year, or is there so much that needs to be changed? Because Keith and I talked about this a little bit. To me, there's plenty of guys who can X and O. We just don't know their names per se. There's plenty of yeah. guys that, that might be as good as what Kendall Bryles is. But if you go hire them now, it looks like you failed on who you first tried to get. That's my point. And nobody's excited about who you did That's get, even though ultimately he could be a better coach. We what does know. that do to affect recruiting and fundraising and when do you, everything? Since when do you care about recruiting, Keith? Well Sorry, said. Tim. It's well said. Segment. Sorry. No, it's okay. Well, Respond as say, you would, Tim. <laughs> well, no, I'll say uh, it's initially um, I think it would generate some positive momentum, if nothing else. Uh, to show that you know yes, it's an attractive job, an attractive position to a uh, you know a guy who is sort of well known, maybe not a household name, but well known within the college football community. I think that has some value to it. And you know, the thing about quote unquote big name coaches is they probably came that way because they've been pretty successful. So you got to keep that in mind uh, as well. And Kendall Browse in particular, I mean, it's not like he's been around for dozens and dozens of years. I mean, he's a pretty young guy. Uh, so. Um, you know, he's, he's accomplished a lot and has successful offenses in a pretty short amount of time. So I think that that probably, to me, if nothing else, I think there's value in signaling that, uh, that you know, one of the you know, potentially one of the top offensive young minds in the game uh, sees Florida State as an attractive opportunity and a place. Look, I mean, I don't think he would come here if he didn't think he could succeed here, right? No coach wants to do that, uh, particularly one who's already been, you know, an offensive coordinator. Um, at least at the FBS level, I understand Florida State's got you know an upgrade in prestige over uh, over Houston or FAU and then that sort of thing. But uh, he's not leaving to be a head coach; he's leaving to be an offensive coordinator again. So I don't think you know he would be considering that or wanting to do it if he didn't think it was a place he could be successful. Now, uh, I, and, go ahead, sorry. I, I was going to interject this. So that, you know, when we were talking uh, Hugh Freeze last week, or or you know Larry Fedora, who's still at, if you get a guy like that who's been a head coach, the thought would be that you know it's pretty they're, much they're going to be here a year or two but, and gone. I think given – now, this is where the off-field stuff actually would help as long as nothing else comes up. I think that Bryles is going to have to go a few years and prove his track record before somebody's willing to take the head coach step on him. Now, I could be wrong. I just think – I don't think he's a one-year-and-go. I think it's got to stay clean for a couple years before somebody dips their toe in those waters. I don't know. It could be, and particularly as a head coach, that's a big deal. But the other thing to keep in mind is that uh, I mean, you know, he's he's been hired twice uh, since he left Baylor, but but not as but not as a head coach. That's no, a different, sure. yeah, for sure. No, I understand that's a different level, but uh, you know, the, the, the truth is, it, it seemingly hasn't impacted him so far. All right, you brought up. Uh, I asked you beforehand what you would like to talk about, given there's no competition this week, and and you wisely and astutely pointed out that we need to tip our cap to Terrence Mann, who joined the Thousand Point Club uh, in front of the very uh, eyeballs of Keith Jones and yours truly in chilly Newark on Saturday. No, it wasn't chilly. It was cold. Yeah, it was. It was damn cold, is what it was. <laughs> Uh, but you're right. I mean, he's he's been a stalwart player. Uh, he he's not a marquee. You know, he's kind of a garbage man in how he gets a lot of his points. But at the end of the day, he fills up that box score for FSU. Yeah, and what I think kind of makes it so impressive for him is that you know he's 
he's really not. I mean, he's a scorer, obviously, but he's not. You don't think of him first and foremost as a scorer. Like when you think about some of the players who recently joined that club, you know, Devin Booker was in there. Uh, Xavier Rattan Mays is in there. I can't remember if Dwayne Bacon made it or not. I think he did. Yeah, Bacon's um, in there, yeah. You know, I mean, those guys, you know, even even Booker, I mean, those guys scored the ball, right? They were scorers. And then Rattan Mays for much of his career, I know by his senior year, he had kind of transitioned to something else. But for the first three years, you know, that was a guy that scored. And, and Terrence obviously does score uh, and frequently. Uh, but, but I think it's impressive in the context of all the other things that he does well, you know. Uh, he also has 500 rebounds. Uh, he also plays really, really well on defense. Uh, he, also he also is very close to 100 assists and 100 steals. That's, yeah, so there you go. And that's, uh, to me, I think, you know, as seeing this, this milestone as sort of the, the you know, a signifier of the total package and, and kind of what that, that Florida State basketball likes to to preach to its guys and chime in on. And I, was, I, was, I talked to Terrence about this the other day, and I talked to uh, Trent Forrest about it too, was, you know, they, they sort of preach the idea of if you do everything right within the system, you know, whether it be on defense or whether it be, you know, setting screens or what, whatever the case may be, if, if you focus on all the other little details, your points are going to come. You know, if you play well on defense or play hard on defense, you're going to get the deflections and the steals that lead to the transition buckets, that, that sort of thing. Um, and, you know, what I think is so valuable for Florida State, I know we're kind of digressing a little bit, but I think it all ties in, is that you know they they preached this sort of selfless brand of, of basketball for so long, um, and everybody's kind of bought into it. And Terrence Mann is your senior leader and a two time captain, and he like embodies that mindset, right? And he embodies that that sort of mentality that that team has. Uh, and when your 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 senior leaders and and your best player, or if not one of your best player, uh, is fully bought in and is also reaping the success that comes with that it makes it so, so, so much easier for everybody else to kind of fall in line. And now all of a sudden, you've got a culture, right? And that's that's how this thing is supposed to work. Well, and I think, too, um, the, the and, UConn game, uh, Tim, um, may have established something. Now, after the season's over, we'll look back on it. But, you know, Tom and I have talked about, Gene and I have talked about, you know, who's the go-to guy? You know, there's yeah. two minutes left in the ball game. You're either up by three, down by three, but you've got to have somebody take charge of the game. And – up until recently, it has been by committee. It's been whoever had the hot hand or whatever. In the UConn game, it was Terrence. He yeah. took the ball, and he was going to be the guy, and he made it happen. That might have been a turning point for him and for this team. Again, we might not know that until after the season when we look back, but that was a was a, a change and a welcome change in my eye in that particular ball game. Yeah, I agree with you, and and I think that I think he kind of would like to be that guy. You know what I mean? I think he wants to be the player that teammates look to, and in, in those tough situations, and they do. Uh, but then also, you know, a, a week ago against Purdue, that was it was it was Trent Forrest's time to do that. Um, and so, I wouldn't be surprised either way. I'm kind of curious to see. I don't know that we're going to get much uh, uh, chance to 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 tell before conference play starts. But uh, but you know, I would uh, if if, it, if that trend continues or if it's somebody else uh, with the ball in his hands uh, next time in crunch time because i agree with you that it's a sort of a question that uh that you would like to see answered but at the same time you know maybe it works in your favor too and that if it's a different guy um uh, you know every every time you know opposing teams opposing coaches can't say hey the ball's going to 14 with 30 seconds left in the game too yep. that can be an advantage as well the other thing we're obviously all sitting back waiting to see is when kofer comes back i had been told by someone who i thought might know that it was two games ago Coach Hamilton even admitted publicly that, you know, it might be, might be, might be, no, it's not going to be UConn. 
And I think that demonstrates one thing that we haven't talked about much about Leonard as a head coach. Man, he is going to err on the side of caution when it comes to bringing a player back from injury. And, well, he always and, has, and right? I'm not I mean, saying that's a bad thing. I mean, I am not saying that's a bad thing, but he has been completely consistent in his entire time at Florida State. He is going to err on the side of what's best for the athlete, not what's best for the team. Absolutely, and and I, again, I think that's been his track record. I mean, even uh, you, you know, even last year with with, uh, with Chris Maggi dealing with his injury, and with Phil Topher dealing with injuries uh, in his past. Uh, yeah, no, that's definitely been the case, and. And I think it's also not to say that he wouldn't be doing this anyway, uh, because I, I believe that he would. But it's a little bit easier to do that uh, when you're playing the way that they are. And oh, the no question, that they do, no right? question. You know, you don't necessarily feel that pressure. And, and Phil uh, doesn't feel. You know, I mean, it's it's hard for an athlete too, right? You're putting pressure on yourself to get right, push through it, and maybe test the limits of what you can and can't do. And when you when you have the record Florida State does and a number ten national ranking and all that kind of stuff, uh, you don't maybe maybe don't feel that pressure as much. There's no question that he's going to change this FSU basketball team for the better when he comes back. And you've got four games now before the the non-conference is over, so there's adequate time. And four games over two and a half, three weeks. So there's there's downtime between if that foot's giving him problems. I, I do think once he's back on the court, he's another guy that has to be accounted for by the other team. And that will that will free up some shots. That will help for, for, for help MJ, no question. For, for other guys, I mean, that whole offense is going to – and it will also – I mean, in the case of uh, when the officials want to blow the whistle 55 times like last week uh, and both everybody on the team's in foul trouble, you'll have five more fouls, so that will help But <laughs> uh, because that was a mess last week. But it, yeah. it will also shorten the stints for some of the freshmen. I mean, part of the reason Raquan Gray was in there late last week and turned it over twice in a row is that uh, – Nichols had four fouls. You're trying to give Forrest a rest. I mean, you just didn't have – so it, it, it will help all around when he comes back. What oh, else? Absolutely. What else do we need to talk about, Tim? Do we well, win any I mean, national championships this week? I mean, have we <laughs> – uh, I, don't, I don't think this week, but, uh, but certainly, uh, you know, they're still kind of basking in the glow there of, uh, of those titles. It's uh, still a pretty cool time for them. It is. Commencement this weekend. I'm sure we've got a uh, good number of student-athletes uh, – Getting that degree, wearing the cap and gown. So, congratulations there. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, no, uh, Alec Everly and Demarcus Christmas for sure uh, will uh, will be there and taking part, and I think a handful of other football players as well. And I said I don't have the full list. Usually, I have the list of everybody who's uh, who's getting ready to graduate. I don't have that yet, but uh, I'll see if I can track it down. But you know, you do know who the commencement speaker is, at least for one. Yeah, who's that? Lonnie Alameda is one of the commencement. Oh, that's cool. Yes, yes. Oh, she'll be great at that. Yeah, they had uh, Pam Paraway, who's the current Lawton professor, and. Uh, She's on the athletics faculty committee, so she's given the other. So otherwise, they could have just said, "All right, Mark Kerkorian, you got one. Lonnie Alameda, you got the other." So I guess Mark will have well, to wait his turn. They had to print the programs. They had to print the programs. Exactly. Yeah, he he, soccer he didn't make too, the deadline. He might be in for spring, though. We'll see. Tim, uh, we'll do another show next week because the holidays are creeping, uh, or the holidays creeping closer. But uh, we're not on break yet, so we'll. Hey, talk I'll to you have next another week. Christmas song for you. Uh, all right, dig deep. You, you didn't use your social media to drum up some songs. So, again, I'm counting on your uh, avid followers. I'll see what I can do. I mean, like in, in the Florida State circles, it's like Dana Castellanos is first, and then you're a close second in terms of that presence <laughs> you have. I don't know about a close second. Well, we'll put she's you second a, anyway. She's got a pretty far head start. <laughs> all right, thank you, Tim. All right, you guys. See you, Tim. Our com insider, Tim Lenefelt. He's a good sport. Always. I know. I was just going to say, you always you always just have this giddy grin when he finishes. Because whatever I say, he just goes along with. And he doesn't really like us. You know that, by the way. Somehow he comes on the Is show. Is on week. social media? I haven't I, seen probably. That. I think he can't stand us. But somehow he joins us each week.
<sighs> All right. Well, I don't like you either. Let's talk about this college football playoff thing. I, I know this is like radio fodder to kill like in July when you got nothing to talk about. But in light of the report today, it's actually worth having a conversation about how close are we to expanding to eight teams. Well, why don't we do that when we come back? Good idea. After this. But you better not take it from me in the Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener. Online at ctf.nu. Here's Tom and Keith. Keith, you know what's coming up on December 25th? On December 25th, normally that's the day called Christmas. I guess I should have gone to Boxing Day because that's December 26th, right? So the point I'm trying to make... No, that's my anniversary happy anniversary so do you know what's one month after your anniversary exactly one month i do not tallahassee beer festival Ah, make a note put it on your calendar it is uh, january 26th it is going to be at the pavilion and uh we're going to be continuing to promote it because uh well frankly that'd be at north monroe and i-10 well not all the way at i-10 but i was just going to say speaking for both of us we like beer is what i was going to say but anyway it's uh, two to five that day for general admission you can get more information uh, online at tlhbeerfestival.com over 100 beers i think from 65 breweries including all the local folks so uh if you're looking for that stocking stuffer alert alert how about a bit of trivia you ready for this this should be good well, I get fascinated when I'm online and they show the historical photos that have just now been released, and they're really stuff I've seen before, but I got time. One of them was Andre the Giant. Supposedly, Andre the Giant, in one setting, drank 119 beers. How long was the setting? Not that it really matters. Like a five-hour period, four-hour period. <laughs> I, I say setting, one sitting. How about one sitting? Yeah, I know what you mean. It has nothing to do with nothing, but... I was wondering what the segue was. I saw it. There you have it. Well, fortunately, he's not going to be at the Tallahassee Beer Festival, and there'll be beer for the rest of us. You mentioned 100 beers available. He drank 119. Let's let's get back to this. All of them, blah, blah, blah. All right. Offensive coordinator talk, Seminoles talk. Let's let's go college football here because this story, uh, again, there's been debate on whether four teams is right or should we go to eight i've been on the camp of go to eight i think you have been too but the story that broke today from the athletic actually has uh, people of note on the record like barry alvarez from wisconsin and who's been on the cfp uh, committee and uh, university president gordon gee from ohio state and west virginia and others uh, basically saying we need to look at eight and we don't need to wait till 2026 when the 12-year agreement is up we need to do it after 2020 because that's the halfway point and all the playoff bowls will have each had a turn twice, and we can make this happen now. And what's interesting about it to me is you got five power conferences, and you've got two who are okay with the status quo right now, and that's the ACC and the SEC because they've been represented every year. But the majority is the other three power fives, and then the group of five because there's the contingent that feels UCF's getting left out. And so the point I'm making is there might be enough support to make this happen now. We I've made the argument. I think you have – agreed with me at least up to like the 85th or 90th percentile go to eight despite what all other talking heads on radio say that are stupid you make it the conference championship i don't give a rat's butt if they're eight and four 
however the conference sets it up, divisions or one versus two and a repeat, however you do it, flip a coin, tiddlywinks, I don't care. Conference championships mean something, and, and I will go to my deathbed saying that. So you make the five conference champions automatic qualifiers. You take two at large, however you want to do that with the committee or otherwise, and you take UCF <laughs> over the last couple of years, but you give an opportunity, one opportunity to that next level. There's also talk about going to 12 teams and, and making a play-in game. Four teams get a bye. That way the number of games doesn't change, but the teams involved change. I'm not sure I'm ready to buy into that yet because I just kind of started processing it. But at least eight conference champions, two at large, next level. Let's see how that works for six years. The way expansion works is you're going to do it incrementally, so you're not going to go to 12 right now. Right. I thought that the next move would be maybe we'd get to six where you have two playing games, but you still have four. But now it looks like there is a push to get to eight. Now, you said conference champions, and I'm fine with that. But what this push talks about is eliminating conference championship games. No. And starting the playoff. No. Why not? Because those conference championship games, all that money goes directly to the conference. You don't want to split that. The SEC is not going to give up that Saturday in Atlanta to anybody for any reason. I agree that that would be a significant conversation. But from a television standpoint, if you're talking about expanding the playoff, those dollars would be incrementally more than what the collective dollars are for the conference championship games. I e not split. I no, not I, split. No, no. You could get that, that because that's when they'll expand. I mean, that's why we have a playoff now because it pays enough. So if every because remember everybody gets money, right? So every team in the ACC is getting a million because there's an ACC championship game in the playoff with eight teams. Every team in the ACC may may get three million without the championship game because there's enough dollars there to do it. Is what I'm saying. No, no there's not enough dollars to do that. I think there would be. No. I because that be. the lack of dollars is the reason nobody wants to talk to go to about going to eight. Uh, partially. I think that's what they hide behind. That's similar to hiding behind we can't expand because kids are going to miss school and exams, which is a complete fallacy because football players compare it now. They may miss school on their own. That's a different issue. But they're not missing school because of competition anywhere a, a fraction of the percentage of the time compared to every other sport. Particularly basketball. Or baseball, who plays midweeks and all this and gets back at, at, at basketball, gets back at two in the morning and is supposed to be eight in the AM class. Well, because so baseball plays half of their season with nobody in class. Well, we don't we don't have to debate the finer points of that. The, the bigger issue is there's a push for eight. You're talking about the Pac-12, the Big Ten, and well, and it's the three conferences who are playing nine conference opponents instead think of about, eight. Think what about the, how the pressure would be this year if Notre Dame wasn't in. If Notre Dame was oh, the I fifth was root- or sixteen, I was rooting this year. But see, this pendulum could swing because if you do get to this, especially if you eliminated conference championship games, it would put more pressure on Notre Dame to join a league and be accounted for unless you're just going to forever in perpetuity create the Notre Dame exemption that they just get a seat at the table even if they're – Well, and, and the Notre Dame joining the ACC, the worst thing that could happen is what's happened this year is they got into the playoff and they didn't right. need the ACC. Right, right. But that's that's two related, parallel related, but different conversations. The devil's in the details, but one thing I feel like I never see anybody talk about, and if you were, just play along with me here, we'll, we'll have to debate on the conference championship games at some point. But, well, and regardless, if you had eight teams, the losers of those first four games could still go to bowl games. 
if you played December, you played them early. If you played December third or December tenth, whatever it is, either one, there, there's nothing to say that you have to be done. You could still slot them into the same bowl, and you could finish ten and three because I lost a playoff game. But now I'm still going to a good bowl, and you have that experience. Agreed. Except I would go the other route. I would take the current rotation of bowls and open up another four or six, so that those bowls get elevated, and now they're hosting playoffs games instead of their standalone bowl game then you got to get more people in the room gets harder to get a consensus but not not when those lower bowls see those lower bowls are struggling with attendance because they don't have marquee matchups if you make them part of the playoff system and rotate them where two out of three or two out of four years a mid-tier bowl the the bowl in tampa for example that that the gasparilla four out of eight four out of i don't think that's what it is anymore whatever it is (laughs) You, but it was you, at one point. You now make it, it worthwhile. Was, and I'm not saying we go, no offense to the people in Shreveport, I'm not saying we go all the way down to the to the Shreveport Bowl, but there's a mid, mid-level. mid Did uh, you see how excited the Temple interim coach I heard is? about that. I heard you need, about that. You need to Google that. I heard about that. I saw As it. was tweeted, nobody yeah. has ever been so happy to be in Shreveport in their life. And quite frankly, had FSU made it to Shreveport this year, we would have all needed to react in similar fashion. I, to that I love, uh, to take a tangent, I love the line. I know we'll, I know we'll, I know we'll practice hard. I I know we'll play hard. I I don't know if we'll perform well, but we'll play hard. <laughs> I would counter your point about uh, expanding that. I th- what they're look what's talked about in this article again. They'll have to haggle the details out forever. Is playing those first four games, the quarterfinal games, uh, home campus sites of the higher seated team, and and I do think this has happened. If you look at and and well, and if you eliminated the championship games, it'd be the same equation. But right now, if you're a Clemson fan. You have to decide, am I going to go to the ACC championship game? Am I going to spend my money and go to the semifinal? Or am I going to wait and go to the championship game? So it becomes too much. That is a non-event anymore. Uh, it, it's not for the first two games. It's a non-event because for it's any corporate. of those games. No, it's not. A, oh, it's non-event for any of those games because the television dollars at this point are such. And remember, no, 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 the no. Next I'm, not, one, I'm not talking about from the conference and the revenue standpoint. I'm talking from the fan standpoint. You're having you're having to choose. Whereas if you did them at home, you can spend the money to go to that. Other people will go to those games if those are playoff games. So the three thousand or five thousand Clemson fans that choose not to go to that game will be replaced by three or five thousand other college football fans. And I'm saying it's hurting the Clemson fan or the FSU fan. Because you right now you can buy season tickets and it's affordable. But if you then have to travel and say, I'm going to go to Charlotte and I'm going to go to L.A. and I'm going to go to New Orleans, it's too many trips to it's go to fine, all this. But pick two of them. You don't get to go all three. My point is there will be seats. Fanny's in the seats of those games because no, of you're the right. nature of the game. Yes. Again, I'm not talking about the overall. Re- and by the way, some, they also make the argument about, well, the players' parents won't be able to go. Well, you know, the player, the NCAA allows for the players' parents to be paid for to go. To all of those games, a lot of people have forgotten about that. Or we, never we're not that. we're not down to that level of arguing about that right now. I'm just happy that they're actually having a significant conversation. Apparently, behind the scenes, because they're tired. Going to go anywhere because they hadn't invited us to the conversation. I think Don't it, they know who we think we are? I, they've got more important people than us. Apparently, that are that are discussing. There are this. more important people than us. I'm just happy that it's happening. You know where I've stood on this. I hate the beauty contest. Now, now, you and I do and there agree will st- on that. There will still be a beauty contest for the two teams, but it's it's simply not fair. Uh, I mean, every other sport does. It's just common sense. One of the quotes in the article is, uh, this sport doesn't do logical well. I mean, it would be like just, just the NFL, but you don't have division winners. You just look at it and say, well, 
I think the Dolphins are better than that team, so they're going to be in the playoffs this year. Let's but, get in. Okay, Dolphins make it. It's just stupid. But having, that's the way we've been doing. But it's having divisions dumb. and having a championship game and having that champion go automatic berth, I know of no other thing that makes the regular season more important. Because you can go to the playoff at eight and four. You just got to win your division and win the championship game. So everybody's in it. I agree. I agree. It's counter to what the argument says, which is if you expand the playoffs, it diminishes the regular season. What that discounts is the passion of college football fans. It doesn't matter if FSU's in the run for the playoffs or not. They want to beat the Gators that Saturday, and they're still going to be passionate about it. Anyway, uh, I don't get paid by The Athletic, uh, but if you want to read the article, you'll have to subscribe to do so. Plus the other part about your argument. I might let you, you share, you Keith. I might divisions. save you a couple bucks. Thank you. If you make it divisions, you play a championship game, the champion's automatic in. There's no downside to playing non-conference games. You can schedule home and home with big-name people because you still got your automatic route that you control, and it's not a beauty contest. You know what they should really do? Spring football games against actual teams. Oh, wait, that's a different debate. we got to finish up Front Row Knowles after this. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Okay, one segment to go, Keith. I I buried the lead, and I'll explain in a moment. Uh, All that college football playoff talk on The Athletic, that was Nicole Auerbach who wrote that article, by the way. So, uh, shout out where credit is due. Speaking of credit being due, thank you, Ron, and uh, the fine folks at Cornerstone Tool and Fastener for what you do for this program and uh, for the consumer in general, be it uh, single-party household or company or whatever, they take care of us. You look like you want to speak. Would you like to interject? If you have questions, go see them. Their advice is just as good as their merchandise. That hamster was turning on that wheel, and that's what you came up with, huh? Oh, Some I got days. The, I, got the, I got the nasty stare. That Some time. So days. So let me just point out that there's two locations for Cornerstone Tool and Fastener, 1110 Stuckey Avenue, 3269 Crawfordville Highway. Call them online at 580-1200. I just had a flashback because I was thinking something similar might occur. Remember that time that the headlines guys left the broken chair here and I about snapped yep. my neck in two? Well, I it, thought you were about to just recreate that situation without I, the chair being broken. And my next thought was I need to come up. Remember those one-liners that Johnny Carson used to give? Yeah. May a one-eyed camel stick other than its toe underneath your tent. <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> All right, here's the lead that I buried. We don't know as we sit here who the offensive coordinator is going to be. We don't know. We know who it's not going to be. We don't know if it's ever going to get to an 18 playoff. We do know that there's going to be a 30 for 30 on Dion. And I haven't been interviewed. You mentioned that. I haven't been interviewed. Why would they interview you about Dion? I don't know. Now, what would be entertaining, and we wouldn't even have to do it real time right now, but if we could take a video clip of you running the 40, kind of like they do with Rich Eisen, and we'll put it next to Dion running the 40 at the peak of your athletic heights, and we'll just 
What would that look like? Well, I'll, would it look like I seventy five through the center of the state, left lane versus right? I'll tell lane you or? what, I'll I'll run him in the forty. Well, not now, but then. But I would run him in the twenty. Because this is a true story. Every time we we very rarely ran sprints uh, under Bowden's early regime. We normally ran gassers, which is one side over, one side right. over. Or we ran what we called fifths, which was completely around the football field, goal line markers, and the um, uh, goalpost. Five times around would be a mile. But those rare occasions where we did run sprints, I would always find Bobby Butler. Now, Bobby's a first-round draft pick from the Atlanta Falcons. Played 12 years in the league. Great guy. Unbelievable guy. One of my best friends from college. But I would find Butler, and he would find me. Because if we ran 40-yard sprints, Bobby would beat me by six yards, maybe eight yards. But if we ran 20-yard sprints or 10-yard sprints, it would be neck to neck. And most of the time, I would beat him because he was a little longer-legged than I am. And it, it would take him another couple of three steps to get going. Well, my short little stubby legs, I can, you know, kind of like the roadrunner. And I, and in a 10-yard or 20-yard, I could hold my own. 40 yards, he beat me by six or eight. 100 yards, he beat me by 20. It was no contest. So I'll run Dion, old Keith versus old Dion, 10 or 20, set up the hologram. Let's see what the, what the computer says. Be that as it may, I don't think that's going to make the cut for the 30 for 30. Dang it. Which, by the way, they're doing the 30 for 30 just on the 24-hour period when he played the NFL game and then in the World Series with the Braves, which that's entertaining enough. But to be frank, Dion's whole span and i'm sure they'll weave some of this in could really be a 30 for 30. well remember we had someone on uh his coach maybe at the time was talking about in care and call in um, columbia south carolina where he ran in the metro track tournament and played a baseball game right between or, or games of a doubleheader uh, amazing and the other thing that needs to be in there that people will forget about uh, and and i wasn't present but i heard about it but on mike long track during practice one time, Sammy Smith beat Dion in a 100-yard dash. Now think about how big Sammy Smith was and consider the fact that in that particular race, that particular time, he beat Dion in 100 yards. Unbelievable. Dion's, uh, that'll be, enter- it'll be entertaining uh, for Florida State folks. It'll be must-watch TV. I know there's plenty that don't like Dion. I, the one thing, uh, and I, I don't know Dion, and there's certainly plenty you could find fault with, but if you ask Mickey Andrews, he would always tell you that he was the hardest working guy he ever had. The greatest, and there is something that, which is a heck of a compliment. The greatest judge of a team mate is what the other team mates say about him, and and that anybody who played with Dion will tell you that no one worked harder than he did. First one out there, last one out. Yeah, he had some other peripheral things, but nobody worked harder than that man did at his craft. Period. The end. Us, on the other hand. We do this. We like mail a, it in like an hour and a half a week. We mail it in. We're gonna mail it again. Again next. Hopefully, uh, even with the holiday rush, it'll still get to your uh, your devices in time. I'm via the so podcast. tired. My arms are flapping. He's Keith. I'm Tom. We'll talk to you next week. Whoa.